Welcome to the Root and Remedy podcast, where we discuss all things women's health, hormones, fertility, and body confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa, a women's health nutritionist and the co-founder of Root and Remedy Wellness. You can find our membership as well as all other resources at rootandremedywellness.com. Today's episode is all about making babies, y'all, because we are diving into our top eight steps to optimize your fertility and prepare for a healthy full-term pregnancy. So right from the jump, I want to acknowledge that this episode is for you if you are actively trying to get pregnant or you have been trying for a long time, maybe it's been months or years at this point, and you want to be looking and checking in on your fertility status, on your cycle. You want to be thinking, are there other ways I can be optimizing my body, help myself along this journey? But this episode is also for you if you're are not actively trying to get pregnant right now. Maybe you're thinking about your fertility for the future. You know, at some point you want to have kids. Maybe that's in three or five or seven years time, for example. And you're thinking, okay, I want to know if I'm fertile. I want to know what this process looks like. What do I need to prepare for ahead of time for when I am actually ready so that you're not behind the eight ball, you're in front of it. And that's exactly what this episode is all about because a fertile body is a healthy body. It is such a disservice for us to tell women and menstruators that their fertility doesn't matter and they don't need to focus on their cycles until they're trying to get pregnant. That literally couldn't be further from the truth. And you're going to see that in today's episode as well because you're going to learn so many different areas and systems that impact your fertility. And we want to be thinking about it well in advance of trying to have children. We want to be thinking about it even if we're not trying to have children, because when you are your most fertile, your most most hormonally balanced, you also have your best quality of life. So there are a lot of reasons why we want to focus on fertility, pregnancy being one of them, but of course being one of the most important ones. So let's go ahead and jump into number one on our eight steps to optimize fertility. And that is to assess your current cycle and create a realistic timeline for conception. So everybody cycle is different. We are all unique, beautiful snowflakes. And we want to make sure that you are not assuming that you ovulate on day 14 or that you have a 28 day cycle or that you and your best friend can just try on the same days and get pregnant at the same time. And that's just the way she's going to go. You will also probably be told when you talk to other people about getting pregnant, they may say try every other day or try roughly around cycle day 14, but that may not be actually great advice for you because it's going to depend on you and your individual cycle when you ovulate your hormone balance, all of these different things. And this is also going to influence the timeline for your conception as well, because if you are someone who has a beautiful, great 28-day cycle, you ovulate on day 14, or maybe you have a 25-day cycle, whatever it is, and you're in that healthy range, awesome. You know you're super fertile. We can identify the ovulation. It may be easier for you, and that's great. But if you are someone who has a more sporadic cycle, your periods are all over the place. Maybe you are missing periods often or many times a year. Your cycles are a lot longer. They're more unpredictable. You're struggling with a lot more PMS. Then these are going to be things that we want to take into consideration and build a plan for before we jump right into getting pregnant because sometimes that can interfere with the process and can actually make your pregnancy harder. And we're going to dive into that in a few points as well. So assess your current cycle. We're going to do that a few ways. Number one is you are assessing your period. So this is the length that you are bleeding should be three to seven days in length with about one, at least one medium to heavy day. So a medium to heavy day would mean that you're filling about three to five or five or more pads or regular tampons in a day. Roughly that would be at least 25 to 30 milliliters of blood in a typical day. We don't necessarily want more 
than one or maybe two of those heavy days, but we also don't want you going through your entire period only spotting or never filling more than one or two tampons or pads per day. That's gonna be too light. We wanna make sure that we have that Goldilocks zone when it comes to our menstruation and our periods because your period is essentially what would be that uterine lining that that egg is gonna implant into. So we don't want it to be too thin or else that's gonna interrupt implantation, but we also don't want it to be too heavy and too thick and clotted because that's also not very supportive of fertility and a healthy pregnancy either. We want to have it be that perfect lining, good medium thickness, medium cushiness, medium size, and that is going to help us have a better period, again, the quality of life side of things, but also lead into a healthier pregnancy. So looking at your period, we've got that three to seven days, at least one medium to heavy day, but ideally maybe not more than two on that heavier side. And then we also want to make sure that your PMS symptoms are no more than a one to three on a scale of one to 10. And that's because your PMS is a huge marker for your hormone balance. And when we're talking about estrogen and progesterone, these main hormones that govern your cycle, these main hormones that control your fertility and actually influence your pregnancy, both in symptom and in duration and in overall health, then we want to make sure that those hormones right from the get-go, right from the jump, before we even start to get pregnant, are as balanced as they possibly can be. So if you are someone who struggles with PMS before your period, so you're anxious, moody, irritable, you've got trouble sleeping, you do not want to spend time with anybody, you're really frustrated and you'll snap with that, like literally nothing. Someone's breathing too loud and you're going to snap at them. Or you notice you're crying all the time. You can't regulate your emotions. You're super exhausted, bloated, constipated. All of those symptoms, it's not that you have to have all of them, but if even if you have a handful of them and you notice, yeah, okay, the week before my period, I'm a total emotional mess. I can't stop eating and I snap at my partner for literally anything then that is going to tell us that, okay, potentially you've got some low progesterone hormone. And we'll need to work to increase your levels of progesterone because progesterone is an essential hormone when it comes to not only getting pregnant, but staying pregnant. Because we don't want you to just get pregnant, we want you to carry a healthy baby to term. That's the whole point. So when it comes to progesterone, it is the hormone that maintains the lining in your uterus. If we don't have healthy levels of progesterone, if we're not having tons of good quality progesterone, enough to sustain a pregnancy, our risk of miscarriage increases significantly. So we want to make sure that before you get pregnant, you're thinking about, okay, how are these, or what are the ways that I can increase my progesterone, make sure that I have a healthy pregnancy and that I can sustain not just throughout that first trimester, but the entire pregnancy. The other side of PMS is when we've got too much estrogen. So this can look like tender breasts, acne, bloating, and inflammation the week before your period, as well as heavy, painful periods, clotted blood, very, very dark, dark, dark blood, for example, is also a sign of too much estrogen. You can also have really bad cramps, low back pain, and leg pain. You can also have headaches or migraines. All of these symptoms are classic telltale signs that you've got high estrogen levels. And usually we deal with with the most severe PMS when we have a low estrogen or low progesterone and high estrogen. When we want to have good, healthy levels of progesterone right before the period, those one to two weeks before your period, and we want to have moderate to low levels of estrogen. Where we run into problems is when the progesterone's too low and the estrogen's too high. That makes us feel 
horrible on our periods as well as the one to two weeks before. And something that's important to remember about assessing your cycle and these hormones, it's not just the quality of life that we talked about before, but when it comes to sustaining that healthy pregnancy with progesterone, but also getting through that first, second, third trimester symptom-wise, if you've got too much estrogen going into your pregnancy, you can develop more acne, have more morning sickness, have more pain and inflammation, joint pain, things like that, and just have a little bit more of a diff difficult pregnancy. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. We want to have an easy breezy pregnancy. We want it to be as low symptom as possible because your body's already running a marathon. It's already doing so much. We don't want that compounded by you feeling like absolute crap. That wouldn't be helpful, especially if we can avoid it as much as possible. I'm not saying that you're going to have a perfect pregnancy if you have these hormones balanced, but you're at least going to set yourself up for more success if you can get them balanced ahead of time. So when it comes to assessing your cycle, we've got the period there. We've got our symptoms as well. You also want to make sure that your cycle length is appropriate. So every 24 to 36 days, you should be having your next period. So your cycle period to period should be 24 to 36 days. We shouldn't be skipping periods. Cycles shouldn't be extra, extra long or super short. Either if you're on either sides of that spectrum, so you're less than 24 or more than 36, that typically tells us you're either ovulating too early or you're ovulating too late, or potentially you don't have enough progesterone to maintain that lining in the uterus for as long as you need to in order to get you to that next period on that appropriate timeline. So making sure every 24 to 36 days, track your cycle for a few cycles if you haven't already, and make sure that you're getting your period like clockwork within that range. If you're not, you're going to want to do your best to be tracking your cycle more closely and that's going to get us into step number two so I'll get there in a minute because we want to make sure you know exactly when you're ovulating you, you know your exact, uh, exact fertile window because there is a very finite amount of time when you can get pregnant and it feels like it's a lot shorter when you're actively trying to get pregnant. It's so funny when you're not trying to get pregnant, it feels like the window's forever and when you're trying to get pregnant, it feels like it can't be long enough and that's because ovulation is only happening once per cycle. It lasts about 12 to 24 hours. That is when you've released an egg, you've ovulated out your egg. It's waiting in the fallopian tubes for sperm. And if no sperm comes and fertilizes it, it's going to be shed with your next period. So we've got a very finite amount of time. We got to make sure that there is a lot of things lining up so that you can fertilize that egg, that it can implant in your uterus and sustain a healthy pregnancy. So assessing the cycle, if your period is looking good, your hormones are looking good, symptom-wise, and your cycle length is good, then you want to create a timeline. Typically, we give about three to six months to prepare for pregnancy when it comes to our next steps that we're going to talk about. So if time is a luxury that you can afford, giving yourself at least three months to get your body in the healthiest place possible would be a great thing to do. If you do not have the luxury of time and you're trying to get pregnant yesterday or you have been trying for a while and it hasn't been working, then okay, no problem. You're just going to start on all of these steps right away and do everything you can as quickly as possible while you're at actively trying to get pregnant, but it's important that you're not putting too much stress on your body. And there is a lot of mental and emotional and psychological stress that can come with trying to get pregnant, especially while you've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. So please just remember to be patient with yourself. Your body is doing the best it possibly can. It is trying to work with you, not against you. So do make sure that you're giving your body the time and the space that it needs to make this journey happen. 
So number one, we had to assess our cycle, create that timeline, take a look at when we want to get pregnant, what would be most realistic for us. If we can give a little bit of that prep time, then amazing, let's do that. Step number two on our eight steps to optimize fertility is going to be to get your hormones and fertility markers tested. So this is a really good idea, especially if you haven't gotten blood work done or testing done in a really long time. And what's great is that usually if you tell your practitioner or your doctor that you're trying to get pregnant, they will jump at the opportunity to give you these tests that you need. Not all practitioners are the same, but you're going to try to at least get a few of your markers tested. I've got a complete list of this blood work and different testing options in the show notes below this episode, but just to give you an idea, we want to take a look number one at hormones. So the main hormones that govern your cycle are follicle stimulating hormone or FSH, LH or luteinizing hormone, estrogen, and progesterone. So you want to make sure you've got all four of those, those hormones on your requisition as well as testosterone. We also may want to take a look at DHEA and prolactin. These are other hormones and markers that just help us create a bigger picture of your fertility. And if you are someone who's really struggling with stress and anxiety, getting cortisol tested, so you can do a four-point salivary cortisol test where you spit into a tube four times a day, that may also be a really good option for you. Of course, that's going to depend on your coverage, on your finances, because sometimes you do have to pay out of pocket for that test. Usually most hormones are covered but again, depending on your overall coverage and where you're living in the world. So those are the main hormones we want to get done, but you also want to take a look at your blood work as well. So we want to get cholesterol and a lipid panel done. That's going to tell us a little bit more about that side of things, making sure your fatty acids look good, that there's no potential risks there. We also want to check in on your thyroid. So getting a full thyroid panel is so important. Don't just let them test your TSH. Make sure you get the full thyroid panel. So that again, linked in the show notes, just copy and paste the list I have down there, bring it to your doctor and say, Hey, can I please test these fertility markers? I'm trying to get pregnant and I would love to know where I'm standing when it comes to the health of my body and my fertility. And then we also want to get general blood work done. Your red blood cells, white blood cells, hemoglobin, all of those things are going to be really helpful, as well as some markers for your glucose, your blood sugar, and your insulin, especially if you're someone who's struggling with more difficult cycles, or if you're someone who's been struggling with your body composition and weight gain, we want to test things like your fasting insulin and fasting glucose as well, so that we can make sure that there's not anything in the way of you ovulating properly and being your healthiest, most fertile self. So again, I've listed the full list underneath the show in the notes. But for right now, you can start to think, okay, yes, I want to get my hormones and fertility markers tested to make sure that I do have from the inside out a very well-rounded body, that there's no immediate red flags that I need to deal with before I continue on my pregnancy journey. Another couple markers that we'll want to check in on that will give us a great picture of your overall fertility are AMH and AFC. Now, this is especially important if you are age 30 plus, and I mean, no matter what age you are, but sometimes they won't test unless you've been trying for a certain amount of time or you are over 30 years old. But essentially, these two markers, you're going to get uh, blood work done as well as an ultrasound, and they're essentially going to tell us how healthy your ovaries are, how many good quality eggs do you have left, what is the status of your fertility. And this is something that I cannot recommend that you do enough, especially if you are not actively trying right now, but you are preparing for fertility in the future because you want to know, okay, me right now, am I super fertile? Do I have the luxury of three, five or seven years or 10 years to wait? Or, oh, am I actually not as fertile as I thought? And it would do me a lot better to start earlier. This is something that we need to know because as time goes on, as we get better and better at modern medicine, Everyone's telling you you can wait until you're 40 to get pregnant. And 
that's not necessarily the case. Yes, there are tons of success stories. We love that women are being able to push out that window to get pregnant later in life. That's amazing. But there are also a lot of women who are sold that narrative, start trying when they're 35 plus, and it's really, really hard for them to get pregnant or they do not get pregnant. And that is a devastating thing for them. And that is something that they wish they would have known or something that they wish someone would have told them, okay, if you are thinking you're 30, but you don't want to start trying till you're 35, let's make sure that you do have that timeline and you have the fertility to wait that long. If you do, awesome. Let's just kind of keep our finger on the pulse. But if you don't, that is going to be a conversation you need to have with yourself, with your partner, with your therapist, whoever else you need to talk to, to make sure that you are making the right decision for you and your individual body in your individual life. So just something to think about AFC, AMH, and then all of these other markers that I listed for you, bring this list to your doctor or to your practitioner, and let's check in on your hormones and your fertility markers. Step number three is going to be to start tracking your cycle and fertility biomarkers. So this is one of the most exciting parts because when you are starting to track your cycle for fertility and for pregnancy, it's amazing. You can have sex whenever you want. You can start to identify the fertile window. It is all so interesting. You realize how amazing your body is. It's so freaking cool. So when we talk about tracking your cycle, we're talking about two main biomarkers, your temperature. So this is your basal body temperature, literally all you do is you buy an oral thermometer. I've linked um, some great options in the show notes below this uh, audio. And you essentially just wake up every morning, as soon as that alarm goes off, pop it underneath your tongue, take your temperature and continue on your day. And what you'll do is you'll log that in a trusted cycle tracking app. My personal favorite and the one that I use and teach on is called Read Your Body. I love how customizable it is, very user-friendly, super, super easy to use. And you're gonna just track that every single day. And what you're gonna start to see when it comes to your temperature is that your temperatures are lower pre-ovulation and higher post-ovulation. Now, this has to do with the hormone progesterone that I mentioned before. Progesterone is a hormone that should be very abundant in the second half of your cycle. And what it does is it actually increases your basal body temperature and your basal metabolic rate. That means you're gonna run a bit warmer, you're gonna burn more calories at rest the week to two weeks before your period. And this is also why, word to the wise, that you crave a lot more sugar and sweets and salty foods and you feel like you eat a ton more the week before your period, you are literally burning more calories without trying. So your body is trying to compensate for that increase in energy burning by telling you, hey, you're more hungry than usual. So little kind of side note there is a really easy way to sidestep the major cravings you get the week to two weeks before your period is to have more protein, more fiber, more fat with breakfast and lunch. If you have two uh, larger meals earlier in the day, you're not going to have as many cravings later in the day or in the evenings or feel like you're just like waist deep in a tub of ice cream and you don't even know what happened in the past 30 minutes. That's what we want to avoid. So that's just kind of a side note about progesterone, but that's going to be reflected in your, in your temperature. So we'll see that temperature spike and stay high for the entire second half of your cycle. And then it'll come back down and your period will start again if, and when you do start that next period. So as you start to track your cycle, it might take a few cycles for you to really see that difference, for you to really get to know, okay, this is me pre-ovulation, this is my temperature spike, this is me post-ovulation, but essentially that is what we're looking for. And the way we pinpoint ovulation with your temperature is it's typically the day or two before you see that temperature spike that you're ovulating. So you ovulate and then boom, progesterone comes into the equation and that temperature spikes. If you're not familiar with your menstrual cycle just yet, I recommend that you 
you listen to our previous episode, Meet Your Menstrual Cycle, because otherwise all of this might be like, what, what the hell? Progesterone, you're talking about ovulation here. What are these hormones? Like what is going on? I get into all four phases of your cycle, all the four hormones that govern your cycle, how your body changes phase to phase. So you might want to listen to that episode either now or after this one, just to make sure that you know what your body's doing on a monthly and cyclical basis, because it's really, really cool. I promise you, you will not regret learning about it. It's awesome. So with our basal body temperature, take it every single day, log it in a trusted app, and then start to look for those changes. Lower pre-ovulation, higher post-ovulation. Another great thing with basal body temperature is it tells us a little bit about your health. So when I'm ever, so when you start tracking your temperature, we also want to look at the range you're in. Typically pre-ovulation, we want to be about 36.2 to 36.6 degrees Celsius. And then post-ovulation, we want to be higher than 36.6 degrees Celsius. If you are in the 35s, then we know, okay, your body is under stress. You've got some work to do. Maybe we're dealing with thyroid issues. Maybe we're intermittent fasting too much. Maybe we are honestly just burnt out and we are burning the candle at both ends our body's exhausted we are overworked undernourished but that is a telltale sign that your body is struggling so typically ideally if we've got the luxury of time then we are focusing on increasing that temperature to those healthy ranges and we want to make sure that we do see that significant temperature rise you see lower temps pre-ovulation higher temps post-ovulation and that will help us pinpoint where your ovulation is the second biomarker is your cervical fluid your cervical fluid is essentially what we're all taught is discharge. It's not, it's cervical fluid. It's super healthy and it's a marker of your fertility. So cervical fluid, when it's white and creamy or stretchy, clear, slippery, that's really healthy. First of all, your body's not broken. You don't have a yeast infection. There's nothing wrong with you. If you've got white and creamy or stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid, it should typically be be mid-cycle. Then that means sperm can stay alive in your body. Cervical fluid is fantastic and a little bit freaky at the same time because this is what keeps sperm alive in your body for up to five days. So typically right around ovulation, we start to produce cervical fluid. It's usually going to start white, creamy, or a little bit milky, kind of tacky. Then it's going to journey into becoming a little bit thinner, a little bit more wet, slippery, clear, stretchy. All of those qualities should resemble like a gel or an egg white. That would be super, super healthy and that will tell you you are ovulating literally right now or any day now. That is when you are your most fertile, when you're getting that white, creamy, but especially stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid. And that is your body saying, hey, we w- we hope that sperm is close because we want to hold on to that sperm, keep it alive, find the super, super healthy ones, kick all the unhealthy ones out the door, but make sure we find, attach, and feed the healthy ones and keep them alive until ovulation. But your body can only do that a maximum of five days. So your body in its infinite wisdom. We love mother nature. She is so intelligent. You start to create cervical fluid typically about five days before ovulation because your body knows I can keep sperm alive in my body up to five days. I'm roughly going to ovulate in the next five days. All right, let's start pumping out this cervical fluid. And just like we were talking about with hormones before, your cervical fluid is created because estrogen is really, really high. So estrogen is a hormone like we were talking about, builds that uterine lining, 
And we love it to be nice and low in the second half of the cycle and on the period. But right around ovulation, it should be really high because it's helping to trigger ovulation and build up that uterine lining as well as create that cervical fluid and signal to your body and your ovaries and your brain that, okay, yes, you are about to ovulate. So let's make sure all of the chips are stacked in our favor and we can keep that sperm alive, shuttle it up through the cervix, out to the fallopian tubes to meet that egg and ideally fertilize that egg whenever you are ready to do so. So we want to start tracking that cervical fluid. Really all you do is pair it for with when you go to the bathroom every day. So before you pee, wash your hands, take two clean fingers, wipe front to back and observe the sensation as well as what's on your fingers. Is it white and creamy, feeling kind of moist? Is it stretchy, clear, slippery, feeling like dish soap or like water? Either one of those is going to be super fertile and you're, you're going to want to track that in your trusted app. So like I mentioned in Read Your Body, you can put in your temperature, but you can also click your cervical fluid different categories. And if you want to learn more about cervical fluid, what it looks like, how to track it, how to know what different category you're experiencing, I've listed a great article below um, this episode in the show notes that you can sink your teeth into. Okay, so, so far we've got assessing our current cycle and creating a timeline for when we want to get pregnant and if there's a lot of work to do. Number two, we're getting our hormones and fertility markers tested. And number three, we're starting to track our cycle and fertility markers so that we can identify the fertile window and day of ovulation. And that takes us into step four, because it is essential for you to know exactly when you're ovulating, know your day of ovulation, as well as your fertile window, or you're going to be trying on all the wrong days. And that's not going to help anybody. And trust me, you will be kicking yourself if you are trying on the wrong days. If that is the thing that stops you from getting pregnant, you're going to be really pissed. And trust me, it happens more often than you'd think because we're all told, try cycle day 14. But what if 90% of us don't ovulate on cycle day 14? What are we going to do with that? What if you don't ovulate until cycle day 30? It doesn't matter. You can all have all the sex you want on cycle day 14. It is impossible for you to get pregnant if you don't ovulate for another two weeks. So if you start tracking your cycle, then you'll know, okay, I want to start trying on the days when I have stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid white creamy cervical fluid on the days right before I see that temperature spike I can confirm okay I probably ovulated there and though that is unbelievably valuable and it might take a few cycles for you to really understand okay what is my fertile window but essentially it starts on the first day when you get that fertile cervical fluid your body's telling you all right girl we are ovulating within the next week let's go so that white creamy or stretchy clear slippery cervical fluid starts to set in then you know okay my fertile window has begun I can now keep sperm alive in my body and it goes all the way up until you confirm that ovulations happened So you keep you want to keep trying keep trying if you're actively trying to get pregnant Throughout that entire fertile window where you're getting that white creamy stretchy clear slippery cervical fluid And then boom, we'll see that temperature spike That's going to tell us that you ovulated you'll wait a couple days to make sure it stays high And typically your cervical fluid will dry up You won't experience that white creamy or stretchy clear slippery anymore and that's your body saying yep, okay we're done ovulating. There we go. If we have that temp spike and our cervical fluid goes back down to dry, then it's pretty clear that you've ovulated. And now you don't want to keep trying because that ovulatory window is over. So I do recommend getting to know your cycle for a few cycles. You can, of course, actively try in this point. It's not going to hurt you, but it is good for you to see, okay, what does my fertile window actually look like? When am I 
ovulating because everybody's going to be different and we want to make sure that you are trying on the appropriate days for you and your individual body. So again, I've linked some more resources in the show notes for you to get to know your fertile window, track your cycle appropriately. I know if this is new information, it can feel very overwhelming. So the number one thing is just to go get a basal body thermometer, take your temperature every day, log it in an an app and start to look for your cervical fluid. Those are the two main things you can do. And then that way you'll know, okay, when I start to see that fertile cervical fluid, it's game on. Let's go, baby. I'm going to text my husband. He can rush home. And if you start to see that temperature spike, you know, okay, great. I can start to at least get a picture of when I'm ovulating. And it's really, really, really freaking cool. I promise you. Your body is so amazing. The fact that we can track it like this is unbelievable. And the last thing I will say about tracking your cycle and fertility markers is that this is where something called LH testing is also really helpful. So say you're already tracking your temperature and your cervical fluid, you've kind of got those down pat or you're getting familiar with them. You can also start LH testing and I've linked LH tests and our LH testing guide in the show notes below, but essentially your LH testing will tell you when you have a positive reading, you, you literally just test it with your pee, pee in a cup with your second or third pee of the day, roughly, uh, You dip the strip in for like 10 seconds, leave it on the counter for about three to five minutes, come back and then read the test. When it's positive, you know you're ovulating in the next 12 to 24 hours. So boom, we've got our temperature, our cervical fluid and our LH testing. You'll know exactly when you're ovulating without a shadow of a doubt. And then that way you won't waste any time trying on the wrong days or being confused or feeling like you don't know what's going on with your body or your ovulation. You'll know exactly when you're ovulating or at least get a good picture of when and how often you experience that fertile window because some people will have it like clockwork every cycle roughly the same days and some people have it all over the place because their cycles are varying lengths sometimes they skip periods and that's gonna be really important for you to know especially if you do have more sporadic cycles because it's not gonna be as intuitive for you you're gonna have to track it a little bit more in depth and that's totally fine we just want to make sure that you know that so that you're not trying on day 14 crossing your fingers and nothing's happening All right, let's get into step six on our eight or step five on our eight steps to optimize your fertility. And this is to reduce unnecessary stressors and create a practice to manage unavoidable ones. So by far the biggest, biggest trigger of delayed or missing or non-existent ovulation is going to be stress levels. When our stress is too high, our body gets the signal, okay, Hell no, this girl is too stressed to ovulate. We are not ovulating right now. This is not a good time to get pregnant. This is not a good time to carry a baby to term. This girl already has too much on her plate. We are not gonna throw a baby and breastfeeding and no sleep into that mix. That is not happening. Your body also needs abundant resources to grow a fetus inside of you. You are literally making a whole baby from scratch. So you need a lot of resources and you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to be able to pour from an overflow or at the very least a pretty full cup. And something that is really important to remember about pregnancy and about growing that baby literally from nothing is that your body, once you're pregnant, prioritizes that fetus. So you will deplete your body of minerals and proteins and essential nutrients in order to feed your baby. So we want to make sure that you as the mother, you as the grower of this incredible thing, you are going to be able to pour from that overflow. You have so many nutrients. You've got a ton of resources that you can put into this growing baby. And if you don't, then this is something that we want to fill up before we think about getting pregnant or ideally, especially as soon as possible if you are already trying to get pregnant and you're actively in that space. So these unnecessary stressors would be things like 
Worrying would be things like getting not enough sleep, skipping meals, not eating enough nutrients, so things like proteins, fat, fiber, and carbohydrates. It would also be you not exercising or you spending too much time inside. All of these things are unnecessary stressors on the body that we can avoid. So things like getting seven to nine hours of uninterrupted sleep is going to be essential. Eating breakfast within the first hour of waking to balance blood sugar and not have you spike your stress hormones is also essential. You getting on a morning walk or at least spending some time outside every single day, getting some sunlight, doing a few deep breaths. Not only does that make you feel amazing, everyone knows that the sun is so healing and that nature is literally medicine, but it's also for real medicine for your fertility. And it really does support ovulation. It supports things like your circadian rhythm and your hormones, but especially your stress levels. So if you can't spend a lot of time outside, that's okay. Even just a few minutes every day is going to be better than nothing. Get some plants for your office or for your home. And then that way, you know, at the very least, you're getting little bits of nature in where you can, but do your best to support your body throughout the day. That is going to be the biggest alleviator of these unnecessary stressors. And a a lot of us don't realize that we are doing a ton of things that are depleting our bodies and making us more stressed out than we need to be. For example, number one, you wake up and you're immediately feeling behind. So you're stressed, you feel like you're late, you've slept in, you're already thinking about all the things you have to do, the things you didn't finish yesterday, and you're frantic. You skip the water, you go right to the coffee because do not talk to me before I've had my morning coffee. I am a total biatch. Sorry about that. Sorry, not sorry. And you just sit down and you start working right away. You do not have breakfast. You aren't even feeling hungry you're feeling anxious and you're feeling stressed and you think that's helping you perform better when it's actually depleting your body over time. You're spiking your cortisol and adrenaline like crazy and now your body is feeling depleted because of it, but you're running off of stress hormones so you don't know the difference. And then you're just rinsing and repeating that every single day. Maybe you snack a little bit about around lunchtime, but you don't really have a full meal. Dinner's really the only meal you have. And now after dinner, you're too exhausted. You don't have any energy to go work out. You've basically just been sitting all day not eating, drinking a lot of coffee, not drinking enough water and not getting any movement. All of these things are going to stress your body over time. And that's what we want to avoid. So a better thing that you can do or a better daily practice or daily routine you can implement is wake up, have at least half or a liter of water, which is going to have some lemon, some salt, some aloe vera juice. This is your adrenal cocktail. It essentially nourishes your adrenals and your stress response. I'll put the recipe in the show notes below, but that's what you're going to want to start your day with. Don't start your day with coffee start your day with mineralized water. That's going to help support your body and your stress response. Then we're going to move into a nourishing, high protein, high fat, high fiber breakfast, like a three egg omelet with spinach and cheese. Maybe you have half a bagel with cream cheese or some carrots or apples or something like that on the side. And then you're going to move into ideally going on a walk outside or even just sitting on your porch, getting a few minutes of sunlight in through your eyes. That's going to be amazing for your stress response, for your overall circadian rhythm, aka your energy levels throughout the day and your overall body system. So all of these things are going to help to alleviate the stress that you would otherwise be feeling if you were just dumping stress hormones on your body with no nourishment to back it up. That's what we want to sidestep. That's what we want to avoid. And if and when you do work out, Ideally, we're focusing more on strength training as opposed to high intensity interval training and doing like a ton of circuit training. You want to try to do heavy deadlifts, squats, overhead presses, chin-ups, really be a badass in the gym. Lift those heavy weights, girl. They are good for you. They are good for your fertility. They're helping to build muscle, build strength. They're helping to balance out your estrogen and progesterone. Plus, you have a way better pregnancy and recovery when you are having more muscle on your frame. So a lot of women notice that they're 
recovery is quicker and that their body bounces back much faster when they have been able to go into this pregnancy with a strong muscular body because your body loves muscle. It is such a helpful tissue to have on your body and it's amazing for supporting that healthy pregnancy to full term as well as speeding up that recovery time, making sure that you get back to feeling like you as quickly as possible. So it's not just for preparing for pregnancy and optimizing fertility in general. It's also because we want to have the fastest and quickest and best recovery time possible. So this is what we're talking about when it comes to the stressor side, these unnecessary stressors when you can sidestep them, nourish your body, focus on reducing stress. And then we also want to have a practice to manage avoidable or unavoidable ones. So things like breath work, meditation, time in nature, going on walks. Obviously, there are stressors that we can't ignore and we cannot sidestep in life, and that's okay. You would never want to live a life that has zero stress. That would be so boring, to be totally honest. But we don't want to let those stressors completely ruin our quality of life or negatively impact our fertility. So you want to think about, okay, what are the main stressors in my life? Are they avoidable or unavoidable? For a lot of people, their finances, relationships, or partnerships, or conflict in those relationships somehow. It can be a job that you don't love or a living situation that you're not happy with, or maybe you're doing renovations on your home and that's causing you a lot of stress because you have no kitchen to work with, for example. And these are all things that you're going to want to sit down and think of, okay, are these avoidable or are they unavoidable? If they are unavoidable, how am I managing them? Do I feel like I'm doing a good job? Are there any tasks that I can delegate? Is there anything that I can be doing to alleviate these stressors in my life? Even not to remove them altogether, but to just have them hold a little bit less weight because that is really going to be where the rubber meets the road is if you can create a daily practice where yes you're acknowledging that you have stress in your life that's okay we all do but you're saying these are my tools these are my steps and the things that I know I can rely on to make sure that these stressors don't run my life because I'm telling you right now, the quickest way that we are going to interrupt fertility long-term is being under too much stress. And it's not enough to just say, okay, I'm going to nourish my body, go on my walks, get enough sleep. You also have to make sure that your mental health is very strong. So it's always a great idea to hire a counselor or a therapist that you can talk to and work through childhood traumas or issues that are weighing you down right now in the moment, things that are interrupting your mental health or your progress moving forward, or that are just making you feel horrible, things that you're looping on in your brain, essentially these thoughts and these issues that are living in our minds rent free we want to be working through those so that they're not running our lives we are taking control and proactively managing them so now that you know the effect that stress can have on your fertility and your body and the importance of having a daily practice to manage your stressors or at least to have a toolkit where you can have a bunch of resources and coping mechanisms and steps to manage the stressors in your life we want to move on to number six and step six is on your eight steps to optimize your fertility is going to be to balance your blood sugar. So this one may be a term that you're unfamiliar with. Essentially, your blood sugar is the amount of sugar you have in your bloodstream at any given time. And it sounds kind of random when we're talking about fertility, but it is a massive, massive main player when it comes to optimizing fertility and keeping your body and hormones healthy. And that's because most of us are on a blood sugar roller coaster all freaking day. We wake up and our blood sugar spikes because we have coffee on an empty stomach or we don't eat anything at all and our body is stressed we're having cortisol we're, we're creating adrenaline which is good because it's getting us out of bed but we don't want it to spike too high to make us anxious have us have that 2 p.m slump we're irritable we're feeling like we can never be productive enough and we're not going through our days the way we want to we're always feeling like we're behind 
And when it comes to your blood sugar, that spike in blood sugar, so when we have something that is really high carbohydrate dense or we have a massive spike in stress hormones, those are gonna all spike your blood sugar. And then what goes up must come down and your, your blood sugar is gonna fall down, go below optimal levels, and then we come right back up. Either you're gonna crave sweets or you're gonna spike stress hormones again, your blood sugar is gonna spike through the roof and we're just on this roller coaster all day. So when it comes to balancing blood sugar, we wanna make sure we do this because your thyroid and your other organs and glands also need to be supported by your th- by your blood sugar. If your blood sugar is on a roller coaster all day, it also depletes your stress response. It depletes your thyroid over time and can also mess with fertility because it can cause imbalanced hormones down the road. And that's not what we want because you would never think, oh, I'm having trouble getting pregnant because I'm not stabilizing my blood sugar. Like those two things you would never immediately think of, but that's why we're talking about it now. So you can get ahead of the curve and say, okay, I know I'm supporting my fertility because I'm focusing on balancing my blood sugar. That is a super important piece of your overall journey to pregnancy whenever you want to get pregnant. So balancing your blood sugar Super simple. That's why we love it. It's very straightforward. We are going to start our day with that water that I talked about, that adrenal cocktail, remineralize that body, rehydrate that body. Within that first hour of waking, you balance your blood sugar by having a full balanced breakfast, eating at least 30 grams of protein, having a healthy fat in there, having some fiber. So like I said, two eggs and some sausage and maybe a side of veggies or some fruit, or you can do a three egg omelet. That's my personal fave that I do almost every single day with some cheese. And I do a bagel with cream cheese on the side. That's my jam. You can also do a really protein rich smoothie, or you can do some kind of other saute. If you've got leftovers from dinner, for example, we just want to make sure you've got three main components, a protein. Ideally it's fat or um, animal or fish based, and it is at least 20 to 30 grams. That's going to balance that blood sugar. That's going to give you enough protein to start your day. Number two, you've got healthy fats. If you're eating eggs, eggs are also really high in healthy fats, so you're covered. If you're not, say you're having a leaner piece of protein like chicken or something like that, then you're going to want to maybe cook an olive oil or garnish with olive oil um, or have something like avocado on your toast, some kind of healthy fat source on the side there. And then we also want to have fiber. So you wouldn't want to just have five eggs for breakfast or a little bit of chicken for breakfast. That wouldn't make sense. We want to make sure that we've got some fruit or some veggies, some kind of carbohydrates on the side with that breakfast. So that's why that bagel with cream cheese is helpful, or we have some fruit on the side, some berries or apples or something like that. That would be really, really helpful to just round out that meal. Make sure that you're getting protein, fat, and fiber or carbohydrates on the side, making sure we've got all three components to balance that blood sugar. The next thing you'll want to do is eat every three to five hours. So typically our blood sugar is balanced when we are able to have protein, fat, and carbohydrates, a good balanced meal every three to five hours. It's going to depend on you, your metabolism, and your workload, how active you are throughout the day. All of those things are going to be impacted uh, by your blood sugar and are going to impact your blood sugar. So typically, I would say most people, it's like four to six, but we can be about three to five hours as well. So if you have breakfast at 8 a.m., for example, then you want to have lunch around 12 and then maybe a mid-afternoon snack around three or four and dinner around seven. Or you could push your lunch a little bit later, move your dinner a bit earlier so you you can sidestep that afternoon snack, whatever works well for you. But where we run into problems with blood sugar is if we're skipping meals. And a lot of us are gonna be skipping those meals. And it's not good for your fertility, for your blood sugar, for your hormones, for your quality of life, for your energy levels, literally nothing. 
So making sure that you're getting enough food throughout the day, do not skip lunch. Please don't skip lunch. I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating to have to pack a lunch if you go to the office or to make good choices. I know it stinks, but trust me, you're gonna love eating lunch once you get into the groove of it and you realize how good it makes you feel because having a full balanced lunch has you sidestep that mid-afternoon slump, that exhaustion, those cravings in the evenings because you're giving your body enough food, especially if you also get like, mid-afternoon hangriness or you get headaches or migraines all of these things can be related to your blood sugar so we want to make sure that you're not skipping lunch you're not skipping breakfast you're not skipping dinner you're giving your body enough food and three full meals a day is where we want to start have a mid-afternoon snack or mid-morning snack if you need to but please do not skip your meals one of the best things you can do is bring your lunch with you prepare it ahead of time and then make sure that you're having a full dinner after work when you get home and do your best to get into a routine that suits you so that's essentially it for balancing blood sugar. That is going to carry you really, really far. If you have a breakfast within the first hour of waking and then eat every three to five hours or four to six hours after that, do not skip meals, eat protein, fat, and fiber at every single meal, and you will be well on your way to balancing hormones and optimizing your fertility. All right, let's get into our second last step, number seven. This is to support your digestion and elimination. And this is because your gut health and digestion and your elimination, aka your body's ability to remove toxins and excess hormones and buildup that it doesn't need, is very, very important for supporting your overall fertility. So we want to make sure that you are supporting these processes and we'll talk about some easy steps to do this. Number one, we want to make sure you're pooping every day. You got to poop every single day, at least once a day, should look like a brown banana, sink to the bottom of the toilet. If it's not, we know you're constipated. Or if you're having looser bowel movements, so you poop four plus times a day, or they're always urgent, or they're always loose, we also want to make sure that we're working on that and fixing that as well, because that can be really, really difficult and get in the way of you having optimal hormone function and healthy periods, as well as a healthy pregnancy eventually. So to support digestion and that elimination, we want to, number one, eat enough food because we're usually constipated or we're having really loose bowel movements when we're under eating because our body isn't getting the nutrients it needs. It can't digest and absorb and assimilate all those vitamins and minerals. So we want to make sure that we're providing your body with what it needs at a baseline basis. And that is going to be your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, protein, fat, fiber. I'm sounding like a broken record here, but girl, try to eat whole foods. Eat whole foods, have three full meals a day, and that will cover you like 80% of the way there for your nutrition and for your blood sugar. I promise you, it is that simple. You don't need to do juice cleanses. You don't need to do any of these crazy protocols or skinny teas or whatever to support your digestion and detoxification. You literally just need to eat enough food and eat in regular intervals. That is going to be the most important thing. Another great thing is that you're going to uh, implement some probiotic rich foods or take some probiotics. So things like kimchi or sour sauerkraut or kefir are all great uh, foods that you can eat that are probiotic rich, meaning that they help to balance your gut microbiome, the bacteria in your gut, and they help your body have good poops every single day and feel your best when it comes to the way that you're going to feel after meals. So we don't want you to feel bloated, tired, sluggish, gassy. We want to make sure that you're feeling good and energized after meals. You're not feeling tired and run down. 
The next thing we're going to want to do is if you are not great at having the probiotic rich foods, then we can supplement with a probiotic. My personal favorite is seed. It's a daily symbiotic. So that means it has pre and probiotics in it. And to be totally honest, it is just the best one that I have ever seen and use. The research behind it is insane and it's just incredibly high quality. There's a ton of probiotics on the market out there and most of them are garbage. Most of them don't have any active bacteria. Like you are literally paying for a probiotic and all the bacteria are not doing anything. You're literally just pooping them all out. We want to make sure that that capsule actually makes it across and down the journey through digestion and you can actually colonize your bacteria. And a lot of the products just unfortunately on the market aren't strong enough to do that. They haven't done enough, enough research. They're not properly formulated. So make sure you're getting a high quality probiotic. That's a great one. Another one I love is Not Your Average Probiotic by Organic Olivia. Love all of her stuff. And uh, that is just a great supplement as well. So whichever one you like best, you can take. Either one of those would be awesome. And typically you can take one uh, before bed every single night. So those would be a couple ways to optimize and support your digestion, but we also want to make sure that you are slowing down to eat because the number one cause of bloating, gas, and indigestion is eating too fast. I know it sounds annoyingly simple, but it's true. We do not want to eat too fast because that's going to get in the way of you being able to digest, absorb, and actually utilize the nutrients you're going so far out of your way to even eat and to take through your supplements. We want to make sure that you are actually getting the benefits of all of those nutrients, those vitamins, those minerals. So make sure that you are slowing down to eat. You're not drinking a ton of water with meals. That's another one that can sometimes make you feel more bloated, tired, sluggish, and gassy after meals. And it can just interrupt the digestive process. And whenever possible, just get on a little short walk or do a little bit of movement after eating. That's gonna really help to support digestion, literally helps to massage those digestive organs. And that's a great way for you to make sure that you are gonna absorb the nutrients that you're going out of your way to get. So that's a good chunk for supporting digestion and elimination, making sure you're pooping every day, having probiotic rich foods or taking a probiotic, and then making sure that you've got good, something that we call digestive hygiene, which is slowing down to eat, not drinking a ton of water with meals and getting a bit of light movement after eating. All of those things are going to really, really help your body digest properly, which is in turn going to help to balance hormones, absorb nutrients and optimize your fertility. All right, let's get into number eight on our eight steps to optimize fertility and help you prepare for a healthy pregnancy. Number eight, of course, is supplements. Supplement like a pro. So don't just take any willy-nilly supplements. Don't go, please, to Shoppers or the drugstore or Dollarama or some cheap store and just pick up any prenatal on the shelf. Make sure that you are supplementing with purpose. You're getting good quality, very, very high quality supplements that are trusted, that are third-party tested, that you know are worth every penny that you're spending on them. Because if you are going to start taking supplements, which you should, you want to start about three to four months before you plan to get pregnant. If you're actively trying, you can start them right away if you haven't already. And we want to make sure we're supplementing appropriately. But remember, this is only for educational purposes and inspirational purposes only. You need to make sure you're talking to your individual doctor or practitioner before you supplement because I can't be the one giving you this individualized support. 
But in general, we want to have you taking a prenatal. So my personal favorite is the Thorn Basic Prenatal. I've used that with a ton of clients, always have great success with it. You want to start taking that before, during, and even throughout your breastfeeding journey as well. That is going to be really important to provide you with the baseline nutrients that you need to support a healthy pregnancy. It's also going to have a little bit of iron, things like folate or what you might know as folic acid, for example, your B vitamins, selenium, zinc, all of these beautiful nutrients that your body needs and your ovaries need to make the job happen. Number two is you want to make sure you're supplementing with vitamin D. So back in our um, testing uh, blood work and fertility markers section, you'll see that in the list in the show notes, we've got vitamin D on there. That's because we want to test your vitamin D before you start supplementing. You want to make sure that you're supplementing accordingly because you don't want too little vitamin D, but you also don't want too much vitamin D. So you're going to have to supplement it at a dosage that's appropriate for you. Your doctor or practitioner can help you figure out what that looks like. But you want to make sure you're supplementing with a vitamin D3, K2 blend because the K2 helps get the vitamin D where it needs to go. And you want to take both your prenatal and your vitamin D earlier in the day if you can. So with breakfast or lunch, for example, always take both of those with food. And then a third supplement that would be great to get your hands on is an omega-3 fatty acid. And you want to make sure you have at least a gram of omega-3s in there. So it should be a thousand milligrams or a gram of those omega-3 fatty acids. My personal favorite one is Nordic Naturals. I've linked all of these supplements I'm talking about in the show notes below so you can see what that looks like and where to find them. But having that omega-3 is also amazing, not only for your overall quality of life when it comes to cramps, overall levels of inflammation, focus and clarity, brain function, omega-3s are really important for that, but they're also very important for fertility as well as the growing and maturing of the baby. So you want to make sure that you're taking those throughout your entire pregnancy as well if and when you are getting pregnant at this current moment. Even if you're not then and you're thinking about it for the future, it's still a great maintenance uh, of health supplement. So taking the omega-3, the prenatal, and the vitamin D are all great supplements. Another one is also magnesium. So a magnesium bisglycinate before bed is going to be so good for not only supporting your hormones and fertility, but also your sleep quality and energy levels throughout the day. A lot of us are deficient in magnesium and we need a lot of it. So there's usually not enough in something like a prenatal or a multivitamin or multimineral. You usually need to get more on the side. So typically we'll take a magnesium before bed and then during the day we'll do the prenatal, the vitamin D and the omega-3s. And that would be a pretty sweet supplement stack. Another um, option that you can have as well is there's a company called WeNatal. I absolutely love their his and hers prenatals because honestly, fertility is a two-way street. We got to make sure that we are optimizing the female fertility. Yes, of course, your cycles, your hormones, etc. But male fertility is also a big problem. We got to be able to nourish sperm, balance testosterone, make sure that those hormonal profiles are also looking really great and healthy and robust. So we natal is a great uh, op- or alternative for the prenatal if you don't want to take the thorn prenatal or if you want your partner to also get on the prenatal train, you can get like a his and her package. They're, they're honestly great. And I've linked those below as well. And the reason why I put supplements last is because you can't just take a prenatal and be like, all right, I'm doing everything I need to do to get pregnant. Let's just start having sex and see what happens. You want to make sure that you are optimizing your body in other ways by doing the stress-reducing practices, optimizing nutrition, balancing blood sugar, supporting digestion, knowing when you're fertile, and giving yourself enough time so that you're not under a ton of stress while you're trying to make this pregnancy happen. So 
I know it can sound like a lot. Maybe you're going to pick one or two things that you want to get started with instead of taking on all eight steps at once because that's probably going to overwhelm you and then cause more stress, which is exactly what we want to avoid. So take one or two steps from this podcast and start to implement them slowly but surely building on them over time. And remember, if you do have time to prep, that's a great opportunity to take. Make sure that you're giving your body the time and the space it needs. But if you're trying to get pregnant right away, that's okay. Just do what you can. Take these steps uh, as slowly as you need to and at least be thinking, okay, I have never tracked my cycle before. Maybe I'll start there or, oh, I'm not taking any supplements, but I'm doing a pretty good job with my nutrition. Maybe I should add those in as well. Just take whatever step you need at the pace you need to take it and your body will get there eventually or at the very least, you will be on the path to creating your healthiest, most fertile self and cycles. Thank you so much for listening to the Root and Remedy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like our information and find this helpful, then it would mean the world to us if you would leave a five-star rating and review and follow or subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast. It really helps to get the show out to more people. It shows us the most support and it also allows us to get even better guests so we can bring you the best content possible. And of course, if you want to dive more into our membership, you can use the code podcast for 20% off your first month. Okay, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening.